Welcome, everybody, to the Kona Shame Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Rourke. Guys, I'm talking about canine genetic testing today. What can we learn? How is it valuable? Is it possible that we can lengthen the lifespan of dogs through genetic testing? Should we be talking to clients about this? Should we be talking about uh, pattern on our puppy visits? What are the medical benefits? And, uh, and is this really useful in modern veterinary medicine. Guys, uh, Dr. Adam Boyko is here to talk about it. This episode is made possible ad-free by my friends at Embark. Let's get into this episode. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Adam Boyko. How are you? Great. How are you doing, Andy? I am fan-freaking-tastic. Thank you for being here. Um, You are the Chief Science Officer at Embark Veterinary and Associate Professor in Biomedical Sciences at the Cornell University College of Veterinary Medicine. I am super happy to talk to you. I have got a number of questions about genetic screening, um, genomics in general, uh, the the future interface of those fields and veterinary medicine and taking care of pets. And I am super thrilled that you would take time to talk to me about that and uh, and help me help me get my head around it a bit. Yeah, happy to be here to talk about it. It's a really exciting time for canine genetics. Awesome. I um, so so let me tell you kind of where I'm coming from and and what I hope we can do in our conversation. Um, I want to understand the potential for genetics and um and how it might actually affect patient treatment in the future i need i need a better understanding of exactly what the pro like i need a, i need an understanding of this process i need an understanding of the potential for where it might go and i'd also like to to get my head around how it could be used today if that makes sense yeah like what, what are the practical tools for me now so again i am i am sort of wading into this and and, and i want to be informed and aware of what resources are, and opportunities are out there yeah it's a really fast moving field uh the dog genome was first sequenced in 2005 and uh dog dna testing you know has been going on at least as long just doing single marker tests if you suspect the dog had a, a certain genetic defect or a trait you wanted to breed for um, but now it's really coming to where we can do genome-wide analyses, um, you know, for just just over a hundred bucks maybe, and you can get a much picture of what your dog's not only breed mixes, which a lot of people are interested in, um, but a, a panel of health screening tests, trait tests that um, you know breeders might be interested in. Uh, the health tests a lot of times are actionable; they give you useful information about what to look out for, or what kinds of you know food or or training a dog could use, um, what sort of risk is predisposed for, but um, but it's still a growing field. I mean, there's there's lots of things that we know are genetic or partially genetic uh, that there aren't tests for yet, in because the research still needs to be done. And so, you know, that's what that, that's what my research focuses on is being able to um, to disentangle some of these complicated genetic conditions. Um, but we're learning more and more about dog health and, and dog genetics and the tests are getting more and more powerful every year. Yeah. So talk to me about that a little bit. I, you know, my, my, my experience with genetics as a veterinarian has largely been in breed testing. And I still, I saw, I had a client yesterday who, uh, 
her little dog came in and I said, that's a cute little chocolate lab. And then as I got closer, I was like, that's not a chocolate lab. And she said, oh, well, we don't know what it is, but we just had, we just sent off the, the test to find out. I'll let you know. And so that is the number one way that I in practice have come, come into contact with genetic testing. So can you start there and just sort of basically talk about how that sort of open the field up and then that's just the tip of the iceberg today so walk, walk me through the progression in what we're able to determine and how it comes together yeah yeah so so the most sophisticated dna tests now uh, are testing for over 200 different uh mutations that underlie health conditions and so a lot of these mutations are recessive forms of blindness um multi-drug sensitivity is a big one there's a lot of bleeding disorders or other uh disorders of metabolism um you know things like, uh, uh disc disease um you, you know a whole litany of uh degenerative myopathy um you know so there, there's lots of tests that are highly predictive of future health outcomes um and many of them you can actually like change the diet of the dog or you know if the dog is predisposed for a bleeding disorder you'd want to know that before you did an elective surgery or if the dog had some sort of traumatic accident um you know to, to treat the dog properly so uh walk me through the process from the time that the pet owner takes a genetic sample all the way through we get some results back walk me through the science of that at a, at a 101 level um explainer if you don't mind sure so it's a simple cheek swab swabs the dog's cheeks um gets gets the saliva all up in the swab. It gets put in a tube with state solution, shipped off with a prepaid envelope to the lab. Um, the barcode gets read. Um, it gets put in this automated DNA extraction process. Uh, it then the, the, you know, the DNA is, is washed through a chip. And so that allows us to read which variants the dog has, what its genotypes are. Um, on our test, it's 200 and 30, 240,000 different mutations that are being looked at, uh, you know, of which hundreds of them are known to be important for different traits and health conditions. And others of them we use just because the data is really valuable for understanding breed mix, inbreeding, uh, relatives, we for uh, novel research discoveries. Um, anyway, all that data gets uploaded to the cloud, it gets analyzed, and then an email gets sent out to the owner saying, hey, you know, log into your account, we, you, you've got results. Uh, for your dog, or an email that says, "Hey, we wanted to let you know before you logged in that your dog um, did show that it has a, a genetic risk factor, and this is what Got it means." To, and if you need to have a, you know, a consult uh, with a veterinary geneticist, you know, we schedule a consult and, and we can take care of that, or talk to your veterinarian, or do you want to send a copy to your vet? What What are the most common genetic risk factors that that you see coming out of of these canine samples? Um, so multi-drug sensitivity is a big one. Um, you know, and a lot of people, you know, if you, if you have a, a collie or a herding dog, like, you know, that there's a likelihood of that happening, but a lot of people with mixed breed dogs don't even realize that that's a possibility that their dog has that kind of ancestry. Um, uh, IVDD, so, so slip discs in, um, it, it's particularly common in, you know, some kinds of mixed breed dogs. Um, and, and people don't always know to look for that. And if right. they know that the dog's predisposed, you know, you, you, you can take care to make sure that there's less traumatic, um, uh, less stress on the, on the back of the dog, you know, less jumping up on beds and things like that. Um, we do see a lot of 
propensity for things like Kali eye anomaly and other kinds like PRA, PLL, you know, different kinds of blindness, uh, bleeding disorders are another big one, um, and HUU, so kidney and uh, bladder stone are, are a common one. And that one's really expensive, completely preventable if you get them on the right diet. Exactly right. I mean, how often do we have these dogs in, uh, and we're speaking specifically about, about canines today, but how often do we have these dogs and they get recurrent urinary tract infections and infections right. again and, and stones before finally we say, hey, this is a pattern, we should address it, as opposed to we just knew it right up front. What's the turnaround time on these, on these tests? It's about two to three weeks from when we get the when we get the sample back. When do most people do it? Are you are you seeing mostly puppies uh, early? Uh, I mean, that to me, from a medical standpoint, is there a downside to not getting this dog at eight, ten, fourteen weeks and go ahead and getting the information? No, absolutely not. So, so uh, you, the sooner the better because that's the sooner you can take action if there is something actionable, and it's the sooner you kind of have you know. You find out what breeds are in the dog or, or you know, verify that, yeah, what the, the breeder said it was a schnoodle and it actually is a schnoodle because we see a lot of those issues going on. Um, and I, you know, I think it's kind of like the heel prick that infants are given in most hospitals these days where you might as well do that screening right away. Um, you know, most of the time it comes up clear, right? Yeah. But, you know, if a quarter of the time the dog shows this factor for something, you want to know about that and, uh, and know what to look out for, know what you can do to avoid it. Well, it makes sense to me as a as an onboarding new new, new puppy. Uh, you know, part of, part of your check in is is go ahead. Hey, we want to get to know you and do a physical exam, get your vaccines up to up to date. You know, I, I'm we rely so much on vaccination to get pets into the clinic, especially as, as puppies and kittens. And you go, that's not that's not who we are. That's not what we're trying to do. You know, our, our our long-term uh, success shouldn't be tied to uh, this person's due for vaccines in three weeks. And so we'll see you back. That That's that's not where we're trying to go. I, I think I, I see veterinarians as information brokers and consultants and advisors. And so, and I'm a big fan of diagnostics to, to help guide our healthcare. And so these, these things all kind of click together in my mind. Right. And I think genetics is one of the most important pieces of information a veterinarian can have at their fingertips. And, um, being able to get them that information effectively so that it can, you know, so that they, it's, it's flagged that they can see, Hey, this dog has a, a higher risk of this or a lower risk of that so that they know what kinds of diagnostics to do and optimize that. What do you, what do you think drives the decision to get these done by most pet owners? Are, are we still, is this still the best selling point to sort of get pet owners on board? Is it still, Hey, let's, Let's let's investigate the breed here. Or do you feel like more people are starting to talk successfully about the value of genetic screening as a, as a medical test? So like, if you had to give me a percentage of, hey, let's find out what the breed is versus, hey, let's do this from a medical standpoint and for preventive health care for your pet. Wh- where are we? Is it still is it 90 10 or uh, have we moved more towards, hey, there's there's a, a reason beyond just wouldn't it be neat to know? Yeah. So definitely when we started out, it was 90 10. Uh, for pet owners, you know, so breeders, it's different, right? Breeders are, are, are know that they want to test because they want to avoid carrier carrier crosses. They, you know, in some cases, there's traits that they're really interested in too. Um, but they, but they understood, you know, they already know which breed their dogs are, but they're doing the genetic testing for other reasons. But for pet owners, when we started doing this testing back in 2016, it was it was easily easily 90 10. It was like I, you know, I really need the most accurate test possible so I know which breeds are in my dog and I can trust it. And it's, you know, it's nice to get this health thing on the side, but I don't really know, you know, what to do with it. You know, in some cases people were like, you know, I don't want to find out if my dog like is going to die. 
like, well, you know, every dog's going to die, right? But like, that's not, that's, <laughs> that's, not, that's not the eight week puppy visit conversation I want to have, Adam. No, that's not the eight week puppy visit conversation. And, and, um, and it's definitely true. Most people are testing puppies, yeah. you know, right now. They get the dog and they test the dog. And I think that that's great. Um, but it, now it's moved um, much closer to 50 50. Yeah. Where, you know, people are like, yeah, you know, I, I do want to know what the breeds are in the dog, but I really think it's important to do this, uh, you know, genetic stream because, you know, it's it's cheap insurance, basically. Like, you know, do I, you know, I might as well make sure information under their vet, too. Yeah. Um, and and so we're, you know, it'd be great to have vets offering it in the clinic so that, that, you know, it's not a matter of, Oh, you know, I was doing my research on Amazon and decided which test I wanted to buy. Yeah. Okay. So a couple of questions coming out of this. Uh, so, so I can hundred percent see breeders driving this, that, that makes total sense to me. What are, uh, are there things that are different? I asked you what the most common things were that, that sort of people look for or, or that you are finding. Are there things that are different that breeders are really specifically looking for uh, that, that cause them to really sort of push this science or push this, uh, push these tests forward? If, if so, what, what are those things? I'm assuming like IVDD, for example, um, you know, if you're a Dotson breeder, but uh, is it breed specific? Are, are there flags for hip dysplasia, things like that, that people are, are looking for in their breeding programs? Help me understand that. Yeah. So, I mean, hip dysplasia in particular is one that we're very interested in. Um, there have been a few research papers out, but they're all breed specific and they haven't really been validated in larger annuals. Okay. So there's not really effective testing yet. All the breeders have been doing phenotypic testing, you know, x-rays, pen hip scores, things like that. And in some cases have been able to reduce the prevalence of the disease. But, you know, different breeds have different genetic concerns for what they're going for. And breeders in general have very different needs than what customers are looking for. Sure. So one neat thing about the technology that Bet uses is um, we're, we're able to identify how related two dogs are. And so for pet owners, they're really interested in this relative finder, right? They want to know, you know, are, are the parents of my dog out? The cousins of my dog out there are there litter mates of my dog out there and there's i mean there's so many stories on youtube of you know yeah. litter that got separated during you know a hurricane that get reunited and you know they recognize each other yeah, of course of right course. yeah um but there's also stories of you know there was something wrong with my dog i didn't know what was going on and then i found relatives of my dog yeah. and now i've figured it out right you know so like because most people don't know the family medical history of the dog yeah now, all of a yeah. sudden, you have that opportunity that, like, if something weird is happening for your dog or you want to know, you know, my dog's itching all the time. Like, uh, you know, a lot of times these things are familial. And even if we don't know the specific genetics, you can get insight from the relatives. On the flip side, the breeders already know who the relatives are. What they're looking for is high-quality uh, potential closely related, right? Mm. So they're trying to, you know, find, uh, you know, a, ma a match for their dogs. Yeah. And so it's, it's the same genetics but it has to be packaged in a different way to serve the the, the use yeah no yeah that that's the the relatedness is super cool like and that totally makes sense from uh for, you know response like i i love responsible breeders that you know that do planning that put a lot of thought into their lines and maintaining their lines and 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 doing uh breeding that makes sense and that, that's good and positive for the breed and this seems like a, a real tool to them i gotta tell you you know um the idea that i can get excited about is we yeah we do pin hip um and it's an imprecise science you know in, in a lot of ways and and we you know we're doing ofa x-rays and stuff on hips it's like just imagine if you had a if you had a, that information in a 14 week old puppy as opposed to a, a one-year-old dog or two or two two years right. old you know what i mean after this dog has already had litters uh, uh and things like that i, I go this is this is 
a significant way to impact uh, breed health and, and, and again, responsible breeding. Things and like and that. you can think even more expansively, right? Like, I mean, at least there is pen hip. So like eventually you are getting a phenotype sure. um, from the animal, right? But, you know, something like cancer risk. I mean, you're not finding out that the golden retriever developed lymphoma until it's eight years old and it's already been bred. Right. right? Yeah. But you could get a cancer risk score or a cancer breeding value and actually start reducing the prevalence of cancer in different breeds. And this is, you know, this is animal genetics 101 or maybe 201. You know, we've been doing it in cattle for two decades. Yeah. And, you know, it'll work the same way in dogs, but nobody's gotten the big database of, of dogs to do it because you have, you know, lots of money vested in cattle. You have people who sure. own a million head of cattle and you don't have anybody who owns a million head of dogs. So you don't my wife would if she could. Uh, <laughs> right, right. No, no, no. That, and, and you're right. Like that, that is, that is ridiculously exciting. I, I, I like it a lot. So when you think about the long-term, you know, longevity of our, of our pets, I mean, what, what if we come up with markers for just long lifespans? You know what I mean? We have these dogs that just tend to live and live. Uh, are there flags for that where we say this is, this is a, I mean, ultimately avoidance of cancer is part of that, but we have dogs that have, you know, we all see, we all see the chihuahuas that hit 20 and 21 years old. Um, is there a genetic marker for that type of longevity? Is there something like that where we could say, yes, we, we are breeding dogs to increase their lifespan. I don't know. I, I can, I can, I can get carried away. My, my goal for my scientific career is to make it so that dogs start living longer than cats. Right. That's it. Well, that's a cool, that's a cool career. The cat people don't like that. That's not, it's not going to be popular with the cat people. No, no. Well, I'm not doing it by trying to shorten cats lives, but you know, like I definitely want dogs oh, to yeah. at least as long as cats do. And, and what we're seeing already uh, is that inbreeding plays a big role in in dogs and most people don't know how inbred their dog yeah i talked to me more about that that that's i'm surprised to hear you say that yeah so if you if you look at the genetics you know and obviously purebred dogs are generally more inbred than mixed breed yeah. dogs are but you do have like you know backyard litters that are highly inbred right so it so it doesn't matter whether you're mixed breed or purebred if you are inbred mm -hmm. we see that the lifespan on average is two to three years than an outbred yeah. dog after controlling for you know body size and 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 you know other things, um, we see that while you're alive, you're less likely to be in good or excellent health. Uh, and we see if you have uh, litter; they tend to be smaller litter. We see this like huge signature of inbreeding depression, just in dogs that like you know normal dogs that are testing with you know with this kind of genetic test. And so that that really should motivate breeders to. Um, to, to try to reduce inbreeding in their lines. And it really should, I think, be a flag to veterinarians and to researchers to attention to inbreeding, right? Like these dogs are more likely to, to have certain kinds of disorders, uh, you know, down the line because of that. And so we're, we're, we're starting to really like prioritize that kind of research. You know, what specifically are these dogs, um, you know, getting and, and how actionable can we give insights on that and, and how can we improve dog health by reducing inbreeding. Are you so uh, so I just want to make sure I got this. Are you saying that conceivably in the near term we could get to the point where I can test a puppy and figure out how inbred this dog is and 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 uh relatedly what the expected, you know, health status of this dog based on that level of inbreeding might be. Yeah, so you you can test with Embark today and you'll find out what the inbreeding level of the dog is. Wow. And it's it's at a genetic level. So it's it, in many cases, it's much higher than what you would hear from the breeder based on the pedigree because the breeder's pedigree goes five or maybe 10 generations. But a lot of the inbreeding is happening because, well, this breed was founded by six different individuals 100 years ago. And so way back then, that, that the, 
the the problems arise. Well, and I, I guess I guess my thought is, you know, how often have you been standing in the treatment room and you've got you know your staff there, and there's there's uh there's somebody who comes in and they bring in with their puppies and they say, oh, I got it from this breeder, and the staff goes, you know, and it is we talk about puppy mills or backyard breeders or things, and and again, those are loaded terms, and I'm not trying to pass judgment. I. I have seen very small operations that do wonderful by their pets, you know what I mean? And by yeah. the genetic health of their pets. And I've seen uh, larger operations that maybe don't, but that's always been so hard to quantify. And people can say, mm, I don't know about those guys, but you don't really have any sort of markers of what is the product that they're putting out. And their puppies are just as adorable as the other right. people's puppies, you know? And, and people think they're buying a F1 a Labradoodle and then they test and they find out it's a highly inbred Labradoodle, yeah. or maybe not even a Labradoodle. Maybe it's a golden cockadoodle or something like that. Um, and, and we've even come across cases where the breeder sold uh, uh, a dog as one breed mix, like a multi-poo, yeah. and then sold the sibling as a different breed mix, like a schnoodle. And actually, the dog was some sort of like, of like we mix of Catone and something else, right? Like it wasn't even either one of the things, but it was like clearly the breeder was just selling to <laughs> saying whatever was going to get the most money out of that particular customer. And right. And so you, this, this is helping uncover fraud. And I mean, most breeders are, 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 you know, like they're, they're, they're breeding what they say they're breeding and they're doing genetic testing because they're, you know, doing it for the health of their lines and for the health of their breeds, you know, so I'm not trying to, to make breeders sound bad, but there are, this is definitely a way to get um, unscrupulous breeders outed uh, much more quickly than than previously. I mean, we had stories where breeders would pass along, like you know, these are the tests that the genetic tests that the breed club recommends, and yeah, here here's the results. It was you know free of all of these genetic defects, but really, you know the you know maybe it was a Doberman breeder, and there were six different defects it had to test for, and it you know it. They didn't want to have to deal with it, so they just kept the Siberian Husky. That they'd always swab the Siberian Husky and send in that sample, and of course it's going to be free of all the Doberman things. So now that you're actually doing comprehensive testing, you're actually seeing, oh wait, this didn't come from a Doberman, and oh wait, we've seen this genetic signature before, and and all of that kind of stuff. So, so now you you know a lot of the fraud that goes on um, can't happen anymore. Yeah, that's fascinating. Talk to me a bit about the reporting, like what it looks like when this information comes back. Uh, it comes back to generally to to the pet owner, I'm assuming. How, how are the veterinarians sort of integrated in into the process? Is, is there extra information that veterinarians might access beyond what pet owners have? Uh, is it a comprehensive form? Can can uh, can the pet owners put it so the veterinarian also receives that information? Uh, talk, talk to me about uh, about about how this comes back and appears in people's hands. Right. So, uh, you know, the, the core Embark product uh, is direct to the consumer. So the, the customer buys sure. it, swaps the dog, and then shares the results with the uh, veterinarian. So you have a PDF vet report. It highlights the things that the dog might be at risk for, and then also you know lists all the stuff that the dog was tested for, and you know what's the what's the genetic weight for the dog, and you know what's the, in human years, how old is the dog based on its genetics, and all that kind of stuff. Um, what we're, we're we're starting to do now is actually selling directly to veterinarians and and offering a, a vet first product where the where the vet gets to see. You know, in a way that works with their workflow, what it is, and we're very much in a back and forth, you know, right now with the veterinarians that are starting to use that product and the veterinary advisory board, and we're you know looking for 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 people to try it out and tell us, uh, you know, how well it's working in their practice. That's that's cool. Uh, I yeah, I, I really like it. Um, so 
with reporting coming back, uh, are there, um, what are the most common questions you get when people get their reports? I, I can tell you, I suspect the most common question is, is, are you serious? This, my dog is, is not this breed. This is not the right breed. I, I know I, I've, I've heard those things. Is that a common response that, that, that people get? Is that a thing of the past? Um, what are the other questions that people come back with? I mean, so, so definitely what I, I would call it breed disbelief is one of the questions like, are you sure, you know, cause the shelter said it was a Ridgeless Rhodesian sure. Ridgeback and, you know, like I, they came back as a lab mix and that doesn't mess to me or something like that. Uh, and, and the flip side of it is, oh, 10 out of 10, best product ever, you know, you settled it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's so very much whether we agreed with what they thought. But, and if we're looking at the dog, like you can't tell, like people show me pictures of dogs and I'm like, I can't tell from the picture. You got to look at the genetically, yeah. you know, yeah. figure out uh, what it is because it's really the genes, uh, you know, mixed together and a lot of these doodles you know when you cross back out you know a poodle is a poodle because it's got uh, a curly coat and it's got a wire coat put together and so a lot of these crosses like lose the curly coat and keep the wire coat maybe and they look exactly like a terrier mix right people are like but you didn't get any terrier in there you're saying that it's some sort of like cockadoo mix or something yeah. like that like, well how the genetics works i can actually point to like where on chromosome 13 and we're in chromosome 32, like all of these things, you know, like you're doing exactly how his genetics predicts and that breed mix explains it, but you know, they, you know, they don't see it that way. I, I, I imagine that is the customer service hell of doing, <laughs> of doing <Yeah>. canine genetics. <laughs> yeah. The customer service team is highly trained to, for looking at all of this kind of stuff because they, they get those questions so often. I, and I remember a, a case with me, um, you know, of course I, I, I have an office at Cornell and, Cornell was fully remote, um, you know, for a year, you know, during the pandemic. And so I come back to my office after having been gone for like 14 months and I see there's been this envelope shoved under my door and I open it up and it's some guy who decided to like write me 12 pages with pictures of their dog. And they're like, you know, this is clearly a purebred German shepherd or at least like 90% German shepherd. And you've got it like half German shepherd and half Siberian Husky, which doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And da, 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 da. And you know, like I call the profile. I'm like, yeah, there's nothing wrong with the DNA profile. It's really clean. Like, it definitely is. Like, I feel bad. This I haven't responded to this guy for eight months because I didn't know. <laughs> and, and so I write him an email that day, and within two hours, he writes me back. He's like, oh, actually, the dog now, and it is pretty obvious that the dog is like half Siberian Husky. <laughs> That's so great. Oh man. That's funny. Yeah, I can I can see people taking it real seriously. Um, yeah, I mean, I could see I could see some of the genetic predisposition stuff coming back and 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 really shocking people. You know, if they come back and say, "Oh man, my my pet is uh, has genetic predisposition for these types of things," uh, I'm I'm assuming that uh, your Embark's customer service is also pretty good at talking to people about what predisposition means and. Yes, yeah, and we have trained, you know, veterinary geneticists too that handle some of these calls. Um, you know, when they're forced actually, like, you know, you know, we're not like practicing on the dog, but we're giving them clinically relevant information. They bring them a veterinarian, you know, like. I love that you do that. I mean, that, that's the fear of veterinarians, right? Is the pet owner goes and they get a genetic screen done on their own pet, and it comes directly to them, and then all of a sudden they're in my office on Monday going, "What is this?" And I go, "I haven't seen this. I have no idea." And so. So, so having support for them is, okay, right. is a is a thing of beauty. But I mean, some of the confusion is like really simple stuff. Like, hey, my dog's a carrier for two things. Like, yeah. what does that mean? Do I need to look out for this? And it's like, no, no, your dog, your dog's a carrier for a recessive disorder, so it's not the the uh, at risk for that based on that mutation. Um, and then also telling the breeders, like, 
hey, it's actually okay to breed carriers. In many cases, you want to do that to keep as much genetic diversity as you can in the line. Just don't breed them to other carriers. <laughs> Are there uh, interactions between um, sort of genetic screening and pet insurance at this time? So, for example, if a pet owner uh, gets their puppy... <laughs> And, and does a genetic screen is like, I'm getting bet insurance on this. Is I mean, is that a problem? I, I, I am honestly just, just curious. Is, that doesn't count as a diagnosis of a, of a condition in my mind. It, does, it certainly doesn't count as a diagnosis. I mean, I, you know, I, I think that you should insure regardless. Of I don't mind as well. Yeah. All of the genetic conditions you can test for, but she's still got diabetes, which is really expensive. And I just got, you know, a $2,000 <laughs> refund from your Canyon. So, you know, it's very worthwhile for me that, that I got pet insurance when she was little before yeah. any of yeah. this happened. Um, I, yeah, to me, I, I think more about the flip side of it, where pet insurance companies are really hesitant, in some cases won't insure uh, dogs of certain breeds. And in fact, it's probably not that every dog of that breed is uninsurable, right. but you distinguish between the dogs that are insurable or not. And so I actually hope that, you know, genetic testing, not, you know, obviously it should create healthier bred dogs, but it also should expand um, the the number of dogs that should be insurable, uh, you know, over time and create more demand for, you know, insurable, healthy dogs. Yeah, that's fascinating. I, I, I have to sit with that a little bit. The, I mean, it's it's the interaction between those two. It's all predict. It's all predicting the future, it's isn't it? That, right? Like right now, pet insurance companies they've been really distinguished between different kinds of mixed breed dogs. It's just you know, it's a mixed breed dog that's small, medium, or large, or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, especially actually, you know, the the health conditions and and you know, overall health of the dog might be very different depending on which specific breeds are in that mix, as well as which specific genes that mixed breed dog carries, you know? And so we're, you know, we're really at the, in, in the dark ages still of, of providing personalized care, particularly for dogs. That's, I love that you're doing this. I love that it's moving fast. And, you know, this is, uh, it's, it's something I, I've been interested in for years. And every time I check in, I go, oh, wow, this is significantly farther along than it was. Yeah, I mean, testing is getting better. So there's more and more data. There's more and more really bright, talented scientists that are looking at the data. And so that's just, that, that's, an accelerant for a discovery engine so you can really make genetic testing more valuable. If this was something that I want to talk more about in my practice and I, and I wanted to say, hey, maybe we think about this with some puppy kits and, you know, um, and kind of running it possibly through our through our practice and, and facilitating that for pet owners. How can I go about getting my staff trained? Like, what are there are there resources out there? Are there information? What is the fastest way to get my my team up to speed to have these conversations or to to feel comfortable talking about this? Because I, I, you know, people always struggle to 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 advocate for things that they themselves don't don't understand or don't feel comfortable talking about. Right. So um, I recommend going to the embarkvet.com website. Um, it, it's separated out for owners, for breeders, and for veterinarians. And the veterinarian link will give you. You know, information about how to offer it in your practice, um, educational tools for understanding what the test does and how to interpret certain results. Uh, you know, when you're screening for 200 things, it's not like we expect everybody to know what all 200 conditions are. Uh, and most of them, you know, frankly, are, are, are pretty rare. They're only found in, in, in one or a handful of breeds. Um, but there's, you know, certainly enough common conditions out there. It's completely worth, um, you know, doing the screening. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of getting value for the dollar, it's, it's probably much more higher value than other kinds of screenings that, that we already do as veterinarians. Yeah. Uh, I love your commitment to expanding the lifespan of 
of dogs. I think that that is fan freaking fantastic. I, I love that you're doing it. I love that you're trying new things and acquiring data and, and uh, you know, and helping to set standards and, and unpack these, uh, these health problems that we can actually do something about. That is, uh, that is amazing. Thank you. I just want to say thank you for, thank you for the work you're doing. Thanks for doing this. Thanks. Thanks, Andy. My pleasure. Um, so for uh, for those uh, who want to go check out and learn more, I'll put the link in the show notes down to uh, the Embark website, and uh, you guys can get information there. Uh, Adam, do you have any other tips, tricks, pearls, anything that people should take away from this conversation if they're if they're excited, uh, interested? Uh, what would you what advice would you give uh, for that person who says I, this is new to me and I'm really interested in it? I would say go do it. I you know we're you know, people love the DNA test results. If you go on Amazon and look at the reviews, so many people are so happy uh, that they did it. Um, the, if you have trouble getting your dog to sit still and get enough saliva on the swab, wave a treat in front of the dog's nose. Don't give it the treat until after you've swabbed it. Okay. Like it's the juices. And that's gonna that's gonna maximize the DNA yield. There you go. Little secret. That's awesome. That uh, nice little uh, a nice little practical tip. That's what I need. Adam uh, Boyka, thank you so much for being here, guys. Uh, take care. Have a wonderful weekend or wonderful week. It's it's Friday when we're recording, and so my mind is on the weekend. I'm gonna have a wonderful weekend. <laughs> Whenever you're listening to this, take care of yourself. See you guys. See you, Adam. And that is our episode. Guys, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. Man, that gave me a lot to think about. I just This is why I want to do this episode. I just had not really thought about what genetic testing could do for the lifespan of our canine patients. It's This was fun. Gang, thanks for being here. Thanks for checking it out. Take care of yourselves. Thank you, thanks again to Embark for making this episode possible. Uh, guys, I will talk to you next week.